episode five. I am excited about today's guest. We have none other than uh, former Marquette Golden Eagle and current University of Illinois women's basketball assistant coach Scott Merritt. Uh, Scott has been a good friend of mine over the years that I've been growing AGB. Um, he's been a resource of mine to help me connect players to different colleges and things like that. And, and today he sits down with us to go over his basketball journey, which is something that is a staple of our show. We're always going to bring you guys the story of their playing career. Even if even if the guests stop playing in middle school or high school or whatever, whenever whatever their basketball story is, we're going to start with that at the top because I just think that we can all learn from each other when it comes to that. But then we get into the heart of what we wanted to talk about today, which is uh, a couple of tips on recruiting. So for players who are still playing and you got some ideas or some thoughts, some questions about how to get yourself this, the looks that you need, um, what level is the right level for you? There's a lot of information in, in today's show about that. Um, we also talk about the art of assistant coaching. So anyone who's still playing or thinks they want to go into the coaching profession, you're, you know, if you want to coach at the collegiate level, you'll most likely have to do it through the assistant role. Um, so he talks about that and how to be successful in that role. Um, and there's some tips in here for parents and how to best navigate things for your athletes. So again, everything that I want this podcast to be about was embodied in this conversation. So I really hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Scott Merritt. All right. I'd like to welcome to the show uh, my good friend. I've had a chance to uh, establish a connection with him during my time running AGB, uh, some recruiting some of our girls. And uh, he's just been a great resource of information. Uh, he's had a great playing career at, uh, at Marquette, and now he's coaching both at Marquette and Illinois. And Illinois. I'd like everyone to welcome to the show, Mr. Scott Merritt. Scott, thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very, very excited. So let's get right into it, man. I, you know, the purpose of our podcast is to help young people understand what it takes to achieve basketball success, both players and coaches. And so that's something that you've done at both levels. So if you don't mind, just kind of walk us through your basketball journey, starting from like the high school recruitment. How did you choose Marquette? What was it like playing with, with D-Wade and those types of things? My, I was pretty highly recruited, um, pretty much could have gone anywhere in the Midwest for the most part, uh, all the Big Ten schools uh, and surrounding areas. But I just ultimately decided to stay home because Tom Creed had just gotten a job at Marquette the year before. Um, and before that, I had no um, desire to go to Marquette University because it just wasn't at a place where it was the spot for me. Um, but he got the job and I, and I saw his vision. He really, really sold his vision that they were going to win. They were going to be good. Um, he was going to, you know, help me improve. Uh, so it was a no brainer because it was at home. And when the coach is that passionate, which he is still to this day, he's one of the most passionate coaches in the country. Uh, it made sense, you know, for me to stay home and where my family could come out to every game and see me play. So ultimately it was because of how coach Crean and his staff recruited me to uh, make me want to stay home. And then from there, it was just, I mean, college was tough. I mean, he was an extremely demanding coach. Um, no matter how talented you are coming out, you know, it's going to be an adjustment. The intensity is so different. And you can't, you can't really prepare for it. Um, the best thing you can do is try to be in the best shape you can possibly be. But still, to that point, it's going to be, you're going to be days where you're ready just to drop, you know, and, but they don't let you, you know. And, that, and that's the part that kids don't understand is, you don't have that option. Once you get to college level, you, there's no quit. You can't. You just can't. You got you to gotta find a way to push through that wall. Um, and, and some figure it out sooner than later. Some, some it takes 
you know, two weeks. Some it takes a year and a half, two years. Um, but at, but at, at most cases, every kid does figure out to how to break through that wall and the mental aspect of being a college athlete. Um, but from there, man, it was uh, an extremely, extremely tough, challenging four years, but we won and it was all worth it. Um, and you want to be pushed to get better. And that's the one thing I can say about Coach Crean and his staff is every guy on our team got better. Every guy on our team was prepared for life after basketball. So, yeah, you're there to play basketball and win games and be a student athlete. But what are you doing for these kids, whether it's uh, young men or young women, to prepare them for life after basketball? And I can and I can honestly say that I haven't come across any challenge uh, after college that I wasn't prepared for. And, that, and that's one of the things I'm most grateful for uh, in choosing Marquette and playing for Tom Crean. You know, and obviously those memories with your teammates and the coaches that you make while you're there. Um, you know, even those times that that seem like, man, this is this is so hard. I can't believe this. You know, five, ten years down the road, you laugh about it. You know, you laugh about those times where you you know conditioning you guys were, you know, people were throwing up and those sort of things. But um, you know, college ultimately is is where you prepare people for life uh, as 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 adults. So that, that was a great thing about coach Crean and, and I'll forever be thankful for that. So um, from that standpoint, it was probably the best decision I could have made for me personally, because I definitely need to get tougher physically. I definitely need to get tougher mentally. And he definitely did that for me. So when you were on the, uh, on the grassroots, like when you were playing, like, did you play big time AAU when you were being highly recruited? And um, when, when you were getting those letters, did you like go through a long process or did you kind of find out pretty early? Hey, once I met Tom Crean, I was sold. Uh, yeah, I played with the Wisconsin playground um, coming up out of AAU. Uh, one of the more pro- prominent teams in, in that area at the time on the men's side, um, and we, we had some really, really good teams. Um, we were winning a lot of tournaments and, and, you know, playing championship games for a lot of the bigger tournaments. Uh, so my process, I was one of those kids that, that I didn't really enjoy the process. So when, it, when I, I narrowed down pretty quickly to my final five and then I didn't even take any official visits because I wanted to be done. I knew it. I was like, I'm not going to waste these schools time. I'm not going to waste my time, my family's time taking all these trips. So let's just go ahead and commit. And that's what I did. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, so talk to me a little bit about what it's like to go from, I think you kind of alluded to it, like you, you're highly recruited and you're wanted and the coach is saying, hey, come on board, come on board. And then you get on campus and right away it's like, okay, you're here now. It's time to coach and, and that kind of transition. Yeah, it's different. It, once, once you, and, and back then there was no summer, summer, you don't get to come in, in June or July and get on campus and, and get that head start for six to eight weeks. Uh, so you got on campus that first day, we had a workout at 8 a.m. in the morning. Um, so you didn't have time to like mentally prepare and ease into college basketball. It's 8 a.m. We got an individual. I'm about to kick your butt. And you're yeah. going to shower and go to class. And then we're going to get up and do it again. Um, so it was different back then because we didn't have that that period of transition into to college. It was you're thrown right into the fire. So from that aspect, it was tough. So you were pretty much on your own the whole summer to get in the best shape you can, you know, and as an 18 year old kid is your focus to really, really get in shape or you want to hang out your last summer. Right. Right. Oh, so, you know, you, you don't really know. And even if you're working out, you think you're doing enough, but you're really not. Um, so from that standpoint, it was, it was really, really tough adjustment. Um, those first couple of weeks, because back then the rules were different. So you can, you, you can be a little bit more demanding of your athletes than you can now. Um, so it, it was challenging for me personally. 
coming out right away. And I, and I wish I had that opportunity to come in during the summer and transition and take yeah. a couple classes and start working out with our coaches like you could now. Right. Um, and so when you're in high school and even at the AAU scene, you, you're playing with, with great, good players in high school. I'm sure you play with good players, but, you know, going to Marquette and playing with some of the best, you know, in the world, is there, is there a transition that happens with the ego where you're used to having the ball in your hands, you're used to being the man, and then you get to a college environment where there's lots of the men and you have to just kind of share the ball. What's that like? It's, it's definitely different because you are the man, right? You're like, I'm the man. I'm going to go here. I'm going to kill these guys. You know, I've seen junior, seniors, I don't care. And then you find out even some of the players who aren't really the best players on the team are better than you when you get when you first get on campus. You know, so even until you adjust, adjust to the college game, the strength, the physicality, the speed, um, some of those players who aren't as talented as you can dominate you. So, so, that, so that's a blow to your ego right away. Like, wow. Um, you know, I got to figure this out pretty quickly. Um, and and I, no matter how talented you are, um, that's going to happen, right? Yeah. Because uh, that's just the nature. I've been, I've been, you know, you get on campus and, and athletes have been there for two, three years training, you know, with, with the strength coach and being coached at a, at a collegiate level. It's just different. So they're, they're more prepared for you. And a lot of times they're not just going to let you. Most times they're just not going to let you come in and go at them. They're going to try to prove a point. So, so if you can handle that, that's, that's another um, hurdle or wall that you have to deal with coming into campus too. How do you deal with that adversity? It's like, wow, I'm, they're pretty good. So either you, you, you step up and, and take or step up to the challenge and get better or you back down. Uh, so I think a lot of athletes go through that initially when they get on campus too. Yeah, yeah. And so talk to me about that Final Four experience, man. But the final four, that, that was a great experience. Obviously, it didn't end the way we, we had hoped it would. Um, and, and I honestly believe Kansas was, was better that day. I mean, we just – I mean, they outplayed us in every facet of the game. But I do believe um, we were every bit as talented as Kansas was, every bit as good as they were. It was just a bad day for us. And, and I, I take nothing away from them. They earned it. They won that game. But I do believe, you know, in the seven-game series, we probably could beat them. Um, but it is what it is, right? That's, <laughs> that's the back in hindsight, but, um, that, that experience was amazing. And, and, you know, obviously the basketball piece was absolutely amazing, but the best part about it was leading up to the games, you know, you, every, every round you're hanging out with your teammates and the memories and the bus rides and the hanging out in the hotel and, you know, you know, enjoying, you know, venturing out into the cities we were in, you know, as much as we could, as far as what we were allowed to do, just hanging out, not in late night, because obviously Coach Cream wasn't going for that, but just you know, <laughs> going to restaurants, you know, walking around a little bit during the day. Um, some of those memories and times were, were what really made it special. And I, have, I laugh about the stuff today. We all stay in um, pretty good communication for the most part. Um, the whole Final Four team, we all stay connected as best we can. Um, but those were the memories, like those, those were really made it special. Yeah. And obviously you cutting down nets and, and getting rings is what it's all about. But the memories along the way, which would are what made, really made it special. Yeah, man. I can't, I know how good it feels to win period. Any game you win coach or player is a great feeling, but that, that win on the back end of possibly going home. I mean, that, that's just, you know, constant, uh, just pure joy that we feel as athletes. Right. I mean, to, to do that at the biggest stage in college basketball, March Madness, I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. Right. And obviously, you know, in March, anything can happen. Right. right? Whether you're the higher seed, the lower seed, 
Um, it does not matter. It's who's better that day, who, who's ready to play. And, and when your back's against the wall and there is no tomorrow, a lot of times your best comes out. And that's why you see so many upsets. You know, you got teams that come in. We're the, we're the top seed in this uh, region. It does not mean you can beat the 16th seed right now. You know, a lot of those times those teams get fired up and ready to play and a lot of times play above their heads. So when, when it comes to basketball in March, you have to be mentally focused. You really, really do, because it's, it's more of a mental thing than a physical thing at that time of year. Did you know at the time that you were playing with someone who could go down as one of the top two or three, four guards of all time? You, we knew he was really, really good. I mean, from the time he stepped on campus, you knew he was, he was different from, from what he was able to do. Uh, but it's hard to really visualize someone being arguably the third best two guard in NBA history. Um, but, you know, what, what he's done in it throughout his career is, is amazing. And it was, it was a joy to watch. But, you know, from the day he stepped on campus as a freshman and he wasn't playing, he was sitting out. Uh, he, knew, he knew he was for real. Like, this, this kid is for real. I mean, a lot of the stuff he did in his, like, prime in the NBA – you know, all his Euro step dunks and, you know, he was doing all that as soon as he stepped on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's funny to watch. Like he was doing that move as an 18-year-old kid. A lot of the same stuff was working in the NBA, uh, which, which is pretty funny. So, yeah. um, but say to honestly, I can't say I thought he would be – I know he'd be great in the NBA and he would do well, but to say he would do what he's done, I don't think anyone probably anticipated that. Right. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm a, I'm a fan of his. I like to watch his, I've enjoyed watching his career because of that. Right. I remember that, that tournament run and he had one of the greatest tournament runs in history, as far as just making a name for himself from the time the regular season ended till, uh, until that, that final game. Um, but then just to see his maturation as a player, you know, he's one of those players that just got better almost every year. And I think that that's inspiring for any young kid just to watch the players, you know, because like a kid, like someone like LeBron or Carmelo, I mean, those guys were pro ready, like right away. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, and not saying that they haven't gotten better, but Dwayne Wade has really had a a scale yeah. to his to his growth. Um, I think one of, one of the things that make him special um Aside from he was extremely physically gifted, I mean, there was something else inside of him that, that made him special. Like, like his will to win and his competition, I won't say it was on the same level as Michael Jordan. I think he's far and above anyone we've ever seen. But, but he has something else inside him that most athletes don't have, yeah. um, which made him be or get to the point where he's, you know, arguably the third best two-guard in the NBA and won, won multiple championships. So I think, you know, it goes to say from – those, those athletes who are special, yeah, they're talented, but there's something else special inside them that makes them be who they are. Yeah, I'm enjoying the last dance and just watching how they're doing a good job of just really putting that on display, right? Just how competitive and how much drive there was. The talent is what it is. We all know that, but it's that that made him just, you know, on a whole diff- different level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, just a different desire, different drive. You're right. So talk to me a little bit about D-League and overseas, man. What are those two experiences like? Is one better than the other? Uh, tell me about that journey. I, I think it depends on the on the player. Obviously, overseas money is a lot better than the D-League money, and it might have changed right now. I think they're making some different rules with some of those top high school kids coming out. But you, you're basically foregoing the money at, a, at another chance to make it to the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's the biggest thing. You're, you're giving up, right, for those first couple of years is making the money. Um, and that's, that's a hard choice. 
you know, because you could always go back. Well, should I have made should I have made that leap right away and gone overseas, or should I have, you know, maybe continued on the D League route for a couple of years? And I think it's really hard if you don't get drafted. It's hard to make the NBA. If you don't get drafted, it's hard, right? It's really, really hard. So I think no matter how much confidence you have in yourself or what your agents are saying, I think the best route is to go overseas right away. I think it's it's foolish to pass up money. Uh, so from that, I, I kind of do regret that initially. I think I probably should have um, went and made money right away. Um, but you do think you're close. If you're close and you do are confident in your ability, that's where it's a hard decision. So if you're willing to forego the money for a year or two, then then go ahead and do it. But it, ultimately, each case is different and what's most important. Sure. Um, but that NBA dream, so many people and so many kids have it, that it's hard. It's hard just to give it up, right? And even if you go overseas, you still have opportunities in the summer and do summer league and things like that. But um, I, I say go for the money because yeah. you you can't play forever. You don't know how long you're going to be able to play. So you want to be able to make as much money as you can. Yeah, that makes sense. And so what's that, that overseas experience like? I know obviously you're giving up uh, the language, you're giving up some food choices, and but what are you getting in return? What's that like? I think you're growing up. You're allowing yourself to mature because you have when you're away from home, you're away from your comfort zone. You have to adapt um, to a new life, a new culture, a new language, a new style of basketball. Um, so many different changes and you have to grow up and mature to be able to handle that. Uh, and, and some situations are great. Some aren't so great. So you don't know what you're getting into when you when, as soon as you get on that plane. You don't know when you land. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. So. Mm -hmm. um, from that standpoint, and, you, and a lot of times you're by yourself, especially fresh out of college. You don't have a wife yet. You don't have a family. So you're going over there alone, which can be tough. If you've never really been away from home or, you know, not too far away from your parents at college, that, that's a big adjustment going that far away from home. Um, nowadays, it's a little bit easier because communication is so easy, you know, with FaceTime and Zoom, and, and you have so much access to each other that you right. didn't have um, – 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. So we were still, when I, when I came out, we were still using calling cards um, to call back home. So right. times are different now, which will probably make it a, a little bit easier adjustment. Um, but it does, you do grow up, you do mature, you do, you do experience different things. That a lot of people don't experience. Right. Um, yeah. It's almost like you absolutely got to love it. Right. I mean, you can't go over there you know, just even for the money. I mean, if you don't love this sport and you don't love to compete, I think overseas is going to eat you up pretty quickly, don't you think? Absolutely. Because because there's going to be days where it's tough. There's going to, just like college, there's going to be, you're in a situation where they're not paying you on time. Oh, they're going to say what they want to say. Okay, money next week. Money's next week. You know what I mean? Oh, your car's not ready. There's going to be different obstacles. And how do you handle that? There's going to be a ton of adversity. Um but, you know, at home, you're, you're still comfortable, even if you have challenges. Now you're out of your comfort zone and you have stuff to deal with. Um, and there's really no one there for your rescue. Yeah, your agent can call, you know, and, or call on your behalf. But at the end of the day, this is in a whole nother country. So you really have no power. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a different dynamic for sure. So then you, get, you come back from overseas and then you decide to go into coaching. Did you know while you were playing? that you always wanted to be a coach? Is that something that you decided later in life once you, the playing career was coming to an end? Or when did you know that you wanted to coach? And then, then go right into why did you choose the girl side as opposed to the guy side? Uh, I had a good idea. I, when I was still playing and it got towards the end, I, I was I, I still want to be around the game. And I, and I decided to retire when I did. I was still pretty young. Um, 
more so because I didn't want to be 37, 38, trying to figure out what's next. So I was still, I think I was 31, uh, 30 or 31 at that point. So I was like, let's, and a couple of coaches advised me like, Hey, it's, it's easier to figure out what's next right now, as opposed to, you know, six, seven, eight years down the road. So that was a big reason why I decided to stop. Cause I was still pretty good at the time when I stopped. Um, <clears throat> so then, yeah, coaching, I, I want to coach. I want to be around the game. Uh, and I didn't care if it was men's or women's basketball. So I did not care. I just wanted to get to the college level. And um, right around the time, like a year, that next, that spring after I retired. So um, Coach Keeger got the job at Marquette. And she was there when I was there as a player. So we overlapped for two years. So we so we knew each other. And I reached out to her. And um, just, just on some casual, hey, I would like to, you know, touch base and, you know, pick your brain on some things. And um, so I went in and talked to her and she thought I just wanted to coach on the men's side. Um, and then she, she approached me like, Hey, would you be interested in the women's side? I'm like, absolutely. So we had a few more conversations and it just worked out. She hired me and, um, that's how I ended up on the women's side at Marquette. And it was just almost like a situation where it's just right, right place, right time. Yeah. You know, you really don't end up for your first coaching job at a, at a, at a high major D1 program like that. So it was, I was right place, right time. I was very, very appreciative of Coach Keeger and everything she's done for my career. Yeah. And uh, so you guys had some success there, right? The Marquette uh, women's team is really on the rise during that time. Uh, would you attribute that mo- mainly to style of play, coaching, uh, the program? Is it is it all recruiting? What's the what's the the key ingredients to, su- to success at that level? I think it starts with recruiting, right? It's hard to win if you don't have the talent. Um, and luckily we had a lot of local talent um, with our first recruiting class, you know, with the Alizea Blockton's from Milwaukee, uh, Monty Wilborn's from Milwaukee, and Natisha Heideman was from Green Bay. So we had a lot of in-state talent, <clears throat> which allowed us to put together an amazing class for our first recruiting class. Um, so that was the first part. And then obviously the coaching comes into play with – how do you put together the pieces for, for a team that makes sense? You know, you got all these extremely talented guards. Um, we're a little bit undersized. What's going to be our style of play? Um, and, and that's where the coaching aspect comes in. And how do we get these kids better? So I think one of the things that was, was great about our program at the time was, yeah, those kids were talented, but we got them better. Like, like yeah. one of the best things about our staff was our player development. And I, I don't think there was a staff in the country that was better than us at getting kids better. And our kids got better every single year. And, and Coach Keeger, you know, put together a, a fast-paced, up-tempo style that was tailored, tailor-made for our personnel, and, and it was tough to guard. So let's, let's, let's talk about that for a second so that we – so if any of our listeners who are on the coaching side – you know, what are those things that you guys did player development wise that really stood out? It was just a matter of how much time you put into practices for player development. Was it kids coming in the gym after practice? How did you guys go about doing that? I, I think it was a combination of both. I, I think more so in the off seasons, in individual workouts in the postseason and the preseason is where we in the summertime is where we really, really honed in on individual skills. Um, everything was tracked and everything was a progression. So you wouldn't just be doing the same drill. We would we would add to it, make it tougher, make it tougher. So as you come in as a freshman, you know, we know what you would get in this drill or how you could handle this drill, and we would just advance from there. Um, you know, and the kids got to the point where 
their workouts were so like we would bring recruits in to watch some of our kids work out. They would be intimidated because these kids looked so amazing. Uh, and part was their just their natural skill level. But they had got to the point where they were just like, I mean, they were they were amazing. And, and how hard they worked was, um, I mean, I don't even know what to say about it, but like that that's the piece you get you got to have kids that want it too mm-hmm. like you can have all mm-hmm. the drills mm-hmm. you know you can you can have the best coaches in the world but if a kid doesn't want it or have the desire to get better or want to really play and win it's not going to matter so i think it was a combination of, of our drills and coach keeger's vision um and the girls buying in yeah and i think that's so important to note because it happens on both ends right you see sometimes where you've got the player who is really have the drive, but the coaches are more concerned about their sets, you know, and they spend so much time getting the offense right, but they haven't even put the time into the skill development. And then on the other end, you see it where the, the, the coaches have the prowess to, to give you skills, but the kids don't get into the gym enough. But when you put right. the two together, magic happens, right? Yep, exactly. And ultimately you want to put kids, you want to give them the skill set to make them make plays on the court. You don't want to, you want to, you want to be on the sideline. You want it to be easy. They'll get her the ball right here and she'll make something happen. Um, you know, you don't want to have to have robots out there and have to, to call everything from the sideline. You want kids to just to put them in position to go to work and make plays. Um, that makes it easier. That's fun for them. It's fun to watch. It's fun to coach. And, and it's fun for the fans to watch. Have you been, have you been surprised by how, just how good, they are in the women's game now or where is that something you saw coming out I'll, I'll be honest with you I'm you know from the 90s in the 90s I respected women's basketball it, it was there but it was nowhere near what what we see today the, the skill level I mean I tell guys this all the time there are 100% there are women that are playing this game that could play on the men's side and and would and could be effective on the men's side because they're so skill oriented and the things that happen underneath the basket they're very they're just as good at that those things as some of the men do you agree with that Oh, I definitely agree. Uh, the, the only difference is the size and strength. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, that, and that's just you can't get around that. Um, but the skill set and the, the ability to shoot, the ability to handle, the ability to pass, um, the ability to read situations and read and react is, is, is amazing. Like the, these young women nowadays are so, so skilled and it keeps the skill level keeps going up. It keeps going up. And it's pretty scary to watch some of these kids coming out. Um, and what they can do. And it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch the evolution of the game. Um, so from a skill standpoint, there, there's nothing they can do that men, or there's nothing men can do that women can't do except jump over the rim. Yeah. You know, um, and even now you, you got more and more women athletes who are able to, to get up to the rim and throw it down a little bit. And obviously they just don't have the, the natural size and sure. get up there like men, but it, it's evolving. So yes. over the next 10, 20 years, I think you'll see it more and more. Um, but no, these, these women, they can ball. Yeah. Uh, they, they still can ball. You know, yeah. and it's... Um Thank you very much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, we would appreciate it if you head over to iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening and go ahead and give us a, uh, a review. Subscribe to the show so you can get notifications on when the next episode is coming out. Share it with your friends. We are in the infant stages of our show and we can use as much support as we can get. So if you guys are enjoying what we're bringing to you, head over to iTunes, head over to Spotify, share, subscribe, review. Now back to the show. So when you're coaching them, it's, it's, it's no different. And I think if you've never done it, you might think it's different. But when you get in it, it's it, there's no difference. 
Yeah, I tell you know with AGB, obviously we coach boys and girls, and I tell them all the time. There's no, you know, I'll, I'll run workouts with them together. I'll we'll scrimmage mm-hmm. together, and and my approach to one to the other is no different because at that point you're talking about athletes. See, athletes are built the same way. You know, men and women might be built a little differently, but athletes are all built yeah. the same. You know. I agree. I definitely agree with that. And, and obviously there, you know, they are men and women are different from an emotional standpoint and certain, certain things and how you interact, but like athletes are athletes. So I 100% agree with that. And if you got a kid who wants to, to make it to the WNBA, she wants to make, she has that drive. That's what she does. Um, it's the same. You have a young man who wants to make it to the NBA and he has that drive. That's what they do. Right. Um, there's no different. It's on a different, it's just different sex. So talk to me about assistant coaching, man. I, I've done it at the JUCO level. Um, everywhere else that I've coached, I, I've been the head coach. And I can tell you emphatically, I prefer being a head coach, right? I mean, you get to make the decisions. You get to right. – obviously, you have to live with the consequences. But, you know, when you've got a, a burning desire to get a new set in or get a new style to practice, you can do that. At the assistant level, It's it's there's a, there's a skill to it as far as just supporting. Talk to me about that. Do you find that struggling? Do you want to be a head coach eventually? Where are you at with that? Uh, I enjoy being assistant coach. Uh, I think I'm still relatively young in the profession, going on my seventh year. Um, but ultimately, I do want to be a head coach. Um, no doubt about it. Um, <clears throat> that That's the ultimate goal. I think that that's the pride. That's why you put in the work. That's why you, you put the time in and you, you're willing to learn and, and sacrifice um, being away from your family um, to be to ultimately be a head coach. But, you know, being assistant is great. And uh, there, you're, you have so much value. Sometimes you forget about your value. Um, and, and it's hard to see through a head coach's eyes, and they have they have so many responsibilities, so so many things to think about. So sometimes you forget that because you only see through your own lens. Um, so sometimes you have to sit back and be like, damn, what what would the head what what do you think the head coach is thinking right now? I think sometimes I do that and that helps me. Like, wow, she 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 doesn't have time to or she he or she doesn't have time to deal with this. Um, so let me handle this. Or maybe I can take this off their plate. So I think you all almost have to be thinking ahead um, as best as you can. And I think the good head coaches they they think ahead. So so as your assistant, you're learning to be be a head coach. And part of it is is being taught, but part of it is learning on the fly. Um, you know, and just soaking up all the knowledge you can um, from whoever you're working for, whoever you're around in administration, because there's so much that goes on. There's so much that goes into being a head coach. Like at the D1 level, there's you have so many responsibilities. You're managing so many different people, so many different personalities. Um, that that is a lot. It can be overwhelming if you don't have the right staff in place. Um, you know, and people that are loyal, people that you can trust, people that are going to put the work in. You don't want to have to worry about are your assistants working or they're not. You know what I mean? So if you can trust the people and you know they're going to get to work in, it makes your job easier. And ultimately, that's what I try to do. Um, make it so so my head coach knows. And it could just be with the results, right? If, if you, the results are there, you know they're working. If the results aren't there, then you know that maybe we need to have a conversation. So if you're getting it done from a recruiting standpoint, a player development standpoint, um, an X's and O's standpoint, bringing ideas, and, you know, game preparation, um, try to be – well-rounded, and I think that that was one of the best things uh, working for Coach Keeger for five years in Marquette is she prepared us and, and taught us so much on every single front. Um, you know, you, so I can't just say, oh, he's a great recruiter, but he didn't really do anything in, in player development or he didn't really do anything in game preparation or scouting. If you can do it, I want to be, I want to be um, 
marketable, right? So mm-hmm. I, I can say I can do anything you need me to do. I can mm-hmm. do all of those things and be successful at, at them all, um, all year round. So if you can do that and, and and still bring that energy and consistency and positive positive energy, right? Because it's hard during the year. You know, you're tired. You know, during the basketball season, you're putting in a lot of hours. You got to find time to recruit. You got a family, so you got a lot going on. But you still got to bring that positive energy, which is might be the hardest thing. You know, from, from on a day in and day out basis, is bringing that positive energy. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a job of the head coach. And I think as head coaches, we get so concerned with how our player relationships are going. And in some cases, we're thinking about managing up. You know, our different ads and things like that. But managing around, you know, having those assistant coaches that you're empowering as much and developing them is a skill that, that quite frankly, is sometimes overlooked. Right. Um, but when you get the good ones, those are the ones that get it all done. They're just leaders across the board. Right. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's, it's, it's a it's a tough balance. It's a really, really tough balance. Um, and part of it is you do want your head coach to to, to give you direction sometimes because you do need it. But on the other hand, you're like. I want that freedom. Yeah, I want that freedom to, to make decisions, uh, not necessarily for myself, but for the program that would that I, I feel are right and I feel would help us get better. So it's it's a, it's a fine balance. So I want to shift to uh, having a direct conversation with the parents and players who are in you know class of 2020, class of 2021, 2022. They're coming out soon. They've got these dreams of playing college basketball. Um, at, at that age, they may still be in this a little bit of self-doubt. Am I good enough? That kind of thing. What do I need to do? Do I need to get this NCSA profile? Do I need to go to this exposure camp? Do I need... Give us some recruiting tips for these young ladies and even on the guy's side, anybody, any young high school athlete who wants to play college basketball, give us some tips on how to get it done. I, I do think it helps to go to uh, elite camps, as many elite camps as you can, because um, you're right there. And it, it only takes one school to like you, to, to think you have the ability to help them as a program. So if you go to 10 elite camps, you get one offer, that's pretty good. And, and you could get more, you could get zero offers, but it just depends. I think going to elite camps and being seen right in their backyard is an awesome, awesome idea. Now, obviously this year is different because of the, because of the virus. Um, but on normal circumstances, if you can get to elite camps, <clears throat> if you financially it's doable for your family, I think you should get to as many as you can. I think that's a great idea. Um, I think playing hard and bringing something else to the table because a lot of kids can score. What what are can you be the best rebounder in the gym? Can you be the best defender in the gym? You know, it doesn't just have to be about points. A lot of kids think, oh, I got to average this, I got to do this. Well, um, we know we know what helps win games, right? And we're gonna get we're gonna put pieces to the puzzle. We're gonna recruit kids that are special, that are different. So if you have a different talent, um, you might just be the best shot blocker. You might average three points a game, but you block five shots a game. Um, you know, so you can you can bring something to the table that not every kid has. So 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 don't try to follow suit. Be different. Be what you can. Whatever you're good at, own it. Embrace it, um, and, and try to utilize that to get you to where you want to get. If you're a scorer, fine. If you can do everything, great. Um, but try to try to have a specific skill set so a coach can be like, yeah, they're really good at this. If they're like, ah, oh, she does. They he or she is. I don't really know what they do. That's going to be a tough sell. Um, you know, for your AU coaches. But if you have a specific skill set, and it could just be she's tough. He or mm-hmm. she is tough. Mm-hmm. They play so hard, you you have to recruit this kid. Mm-hmm. That stands out too. Mm-hmm. 
that really, really stands out. Um, and just respond to coaches. If coaches are reaching out to you, respond to them. Okay. And, it, and I know it can be overwhelming at times, but if you're ignoring the school and it could just be you're, you're busy, you haven't had a chance, but not, they may think they're not interested and you might be interested, but we don't know. Right. So I'm just saying whether you're interested or not, respond to the coaches, be honest with them. Um, and if you're not interested, let them know. So they're not wasting your time. They're not wasting their time. Schools won't be offended. Um, you know, there, there's enough players to go around, but we mm -hmm. want to want to be honest. We're going to try to be honest with you. So be honest with us. Um, and some of those conversations are hard sometimes, but that, that's part of growing up, too, as young teenagers. Um, it helps you grow up because you do have to have hard conversations in, in certain moments. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I talk about that all the time when, when we take the girls and the guys to the exposure events, I tell them that there are these intangible things too, right? You guys are watching how they respond to misses. You're, you're watching to how they respond to being coached hard. You're watching to how they interact with their teammates. Am I right in that? Or am I just making that up? Absolutely. We almost watch everything they do. So if we're really, really considering the kid, we're going to watch them on the bench. We're going to watch them in warmups. They might not be playing this game. They're just hanging out on the sideline you know, behind court three over here, we might just be watching them to see how they are, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, how they talk to their parents. Those little things matter because we, we don't, you want good kids in your program. So like the intangible things are so very important. It's not always about the talent. Um, talent will get you in the door. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to seal the deal, right? So you, you have to be a good kid. You have to have the intangibles to be, to ultimately be where you want to be. And it's, there's so many things that go into recruiting. You know, we can bring, you can bring kids on in for a visit um, that you really, really want. And they don't vibe with the team or they don't vibe with you or they said something or, you know, they were on their phone the whole day. That's another, put the phones down. Yeah. Right? Put, the phone, put the phones down. Um, if you're on campus, um, unofficially or officially, put the phones down. Yeah. Right. That, that, that's, probably one of the things that will get it get under a head coach's skin is you paying more attention to your phone and you might not be doing it intentionally. It might just be a habit, right? Whether you're just eating the lunch or you're, you're in a meeting, put your, keep your phones away. And that, that'll really show that you're engaged and actually interested. That's a great, that's a great little nugget there to think about. Um, what about the, the profiles? How important are they? When you guys come to an exposure event, are you coming with a list of kids that you already know that you want to see? And because you got them off their profiles and things like that, or is it really just a matter of, hey, I got a couple that I want to see, but I'm also going in here with fresh eyes to see someone that maybe I don't know. I think the profiles help. I don't know if they're always necessary. Um, they can't. They can't hurt you. Um, but coaches, when we go to re when we go to events during the eval period, we have a list of kids that we're going to see. Um, but we we also want to find new talent too. So, so it does absolutely goes both ways. We have this list, but we're, we're looking to find that next kid that maybe not everyone knows about that we can get on right away. So if you're not necessarily getting the offers or the looks yet, it doesn't mean it's over for you, right? You keep playing hard, keep working, um, and eventually it'll happen. So yeah, yeah, reach out to the schools if you're interested. Hey, I'm playing in this. Anytime you can give us information and tournaments and things like that, it, it, it does help because then we're like, hey, maybe, you know, if, we like highlights, but we like game film because yeah. I mean, you can make anyone look good in the highlight. Yes. I mean, that's why it's called a highlight. But if you give us a full game, show us a highlight and say, hey, here's two of my best games. 
or even a game I didn't do so well, but we could still see her. She, she can play. She just didn't shoot the ball well that, that day. Um, so don't be afraid to send full game film. I always tell kids not to forget about the proactive part of recruiting, right? It is if listen, if you want to go into the gym every single day and just become the very best player in the nation, then they they will find you. You don't have to be that proactive. Just go play average 25, win every championship. They're going to find you. Other than that, you know, there's a there's a there makes sense to being proactive in your own recruiting process, right? Sending out videos, sending out emails. Uh, it's a numbers game. Send out 20, get one response. And, and that's yeah. how that goes. Am I right? No, you're absolutely right. But also they have to, um, and, and it's hard. Sometimes parents, um, it's hard to accept the truth. Um, maybe your kid's not D1. You know, maybe they're D2, but have a realistic expectation of what you're trying to get out of this. Um, so you're not, you're not reaching out to, to UConn when you're, when you're barely a D1 kid. You know what I mean? So, so, so just have realistic expectations with what you're doing and who you're reaching out to, um, which is not easy to do as a parent, but try, try your best to do that. Uh, uh, one of the other things I want to do with this podcast, Scott, is I want to, I want to bridge the gap between high school and AAU, right? I come from the AAU background. I, I built a program for eight years, and then now I'm four years into being an athletic director on the high school side and a varsity coach. And it's all basketball. And it's all designed for the young people. We're here to help kids. That's the mm-hmm. whole point, purpose of coaching. But there is a little bit of a civil war going on between the two. The high school coaches are blaming the AAU coaches. The AAU coaches are blaming the high school coaches. As a college coach who recruits with both, you have to talk. You have to have relationships with both types of people. Talk to both of them. Get them together. What what's working well for each side, and what does each side need to improve on? I think I think it helps if the AAU and the high school coach are on the same page. You know, some are, some aren't. And maybe they don't have to have a relationship, but if I'm coaching you this way in the summertime and you're coaching and the high school coach is coaching something totally different um, during the winter, there there could be, you know, something that goes unnoticed or, you know, a kid's something that they're very, very capable of doing goes unnoticed or they're not allowed to do. So I think if they're on the same page about what a kid is able to do and from a skill set standpoint and how they're being coached, I think that will help. Um, and, be, and being honest, you know, you know, sometimes coaches will, will talk up a kid, just be honest about the, the kid's um, ability, just because we're going to see it. You can say everything you want to say, but we'll see it. So, so don't say that, hey, this kid is a, is a high major kid and you know they're not. That doesn't do anyone any good. Um, just be honest and, and, and hopefully – see, the thing is, AU is, is quick. Yeah, you have them in the spring. You're playing a lot of games. But high school is more like college, mm-hmm. right? From mm-hmm. you got practice throughout the week, then you play your games. So a lot of times the high school field is a little bit different and the setting is a little bit different. And the games are a little bit more organized. You know, you got actual – you know, scheming and defenses and mm-hmm. things like that. So when you're seeing kids in the high school setting, it's a lot different than the AAU setting where they're basically just throwing the ball out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, some programs have plays and, you know, they do a little bit of a defense. But for the most part, it's almost like a pickup game where mm-hmm. high school is actually more organized. You can see a kid, they get boxing one or they're playing against the zone. Um, so it's, it's a different dynamic. But ideally, you just want both to be honest. Hopefully they have a good relationship. If not, so be it, but you just want both of them to be honest about the kid and have the kid's best interest at heart. Um, we're usually they do, you know, mm-hmm. but every situation is different, but you mm-hmm. just hope that they all do. 
Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, look, what what area of life could we talk about where we won't talk about there being good people and bad people in it, right? right. Yeah. Cops, doctors, insurance. I don't care what you're talking about. There's some people that do it for the right reasons and do it well. And there's other people that do it wrong, but in basketball is no different. Um, but I just, I just want to put it out there for people to hear from someone who has to do the experience all the time. Uh, what's essential. Essential is that we do what's best for the kid. And sometimes going D2, D2 or D3 or low mid major is what's best for the kid. And that's what we got to do. Am I right? Or even, you know, I'll go a little bit further. Okay, the kid is 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 a high major kid or you know mid major kid, but they maybe say they're a mid major kid and they got a couple of high major offers. Is it best for the kid to go high major and sit the bench or go mid major and 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 be a stud and play for four years? All right. So, okay, you know, women's basketball is kind of like a popularity contest. They want the biggest offer, the biggest school, but is that best for you? Okay, yeah, you're going to this school, but you're going to be a role player or you may not play or you're going to have to work extremely hard to see the court or you can go somewhere a little bit lower, which is still a great, great school, a great opportunity, but it's not the most popular decision. So what's best for the kid? What's best for you? Um, what are some of the tips that I can use as a player to identify those things? All right. Because if you're, if you're recruiting me and say, uh, I'll just, I'll say, you know, Tennessee, you know, is recruiting me, then on the surface, I'm going to think Tennessee's the better situation. Um, but how, how do I go about knowing, well, that actually, that offer actually sounds like a towel wave. You know, I'm going to be on the bench or I'm going to be a role player versus this offer sounds like somewhere I'm going to play. How can I decipher that? It is hard sometimes. It is really, really hard. Um, and I think that goes back to having people in your circle that are being honest with you. Right. That you can trust, whether it's your, your mom, your dad, a you coach, high school coach, um, parent, any any guardian or anyone who's in your circle. <clears throat> that, that's the hard decision. And you have to really, really sit back and think what's most important. You might have all the confidence in the world and say, hey, I can go there and play. But if someone tells you differently, hey, it's going to be hard for you to, to see the floor. There. Are, are you going to be hurt by that or are you going to you know, appreciate them being honest? You know, and sometimes the truth is hard to hear, you know. Um, but if you're, if you're being truthful with people and being honest about their situation and them as a player and athlete, they may not appreciate it in the moment. But over the long run, they'll, they'll be more appreciative and, and accept that, yeah, this is she had my she or he, he or she had my best interest at heart. You know, being yeah. honest, when you're honest with people, they do. It does show you have their best interest at heart. Uh, but it, it's a hard decision. And. I guess I guess you really have to do your research when you, you can't just commit to a school without knowing who they have, who's coming in, um, you know, the style of play, you know, former players. You got you got to take everything into account. And nowadays, you, you know, we're throwing the NCAA is throwing loops with this whole transfer portal situation, because now, you know, you might be going in as a freshman and they'll bring someone in at your same position. So now what? You know, so you you, you really, really have to ask all these questions um, and ask them again and just be certain and be sure. And you can't over ask questions. You can't over communicate. We, I had a good conversation with Toy Baylor yesterday and I'm sure you're familiar with her. She's 
big time in the recruiting game. Yep. And she does, I think she's one of the people that does a great job of doing that whole honesty approach with the, with the athletes. And, and she talked about that, that transfer, that, that, that word that's coming up so much now, how do you guys handle that? Uh, I know you just got to Illinois, but let's say go back to your Marquette days when, when, when an athlete comes to you and says, Hey, we, we want to transfer. Is it like, Hey, okay, that's great for you. Or is there a, a chance to try to talk them out of it? How does that get handled at the D1 level? I think it, I think it's, it depends on the situation. Each situation is different. Sometimes transferring is the best situation for the kid and the program and kids transfer for so many different reasons, whether it's, you know, they're not comfortable on the court. They don't vibe with the team. Um, they're not getting the, the, the opportunity they want from a basketball standpoint. They don't like the head coach. Um, there's so many different things or they just, Hey, I'm, I just want to leave. I want to go here. I want to see what, throw my name in the portal and see what, see what happens. Um, so there, a lot of things can come up. I think you really, so you sit down with the kid, obviously. Um, sometimes it comes from the assistant. If we find out first, hey, the touch base with the kid, see what's going on. And you try to really, really get a read on them. Hopefully you can, you can sense this thing coming before it happens, right? Throughout the year, you can see, hey, this, I don't think she's going to, I think she's going to want to leave at some point. And a lot of times if you, if you're having those, if you have those relationships with the kids, um, with the assistant and the head coach, I think that helps and you can see things coming before it comes. Um, but you just, you want to, you want to be an open book to your players, you know, and you want to be honest from the, from the jump. And if, if they're, if they're thinking about that during the year and they're thinking, Hey, is next year going to be different? Am I going to play? You have to really be honest with them. Um, and at the same time, these kids need to understand this. The grass isn't always greener. Mm-hmm. You know, God, there's going to be mm-hmm. tough moments no matter where you go. Um, so you have to understand, Hey, maybe this is, I got to stick it out, you know, a little yeah. adversity. I don't necessarily need to leave because I right. have adversity. So you have to really sit back and think it. And again, it goes back to who's in my ear, you know, who's telling me the truth, you right. know, are they saying hey, if you go here to be, you know, you really have to make sure that people are, are giving you great information. Right. Make- well, I tell you, I'll share this with you. What I'm trying to do at the high school level, because obviously there's still some transfers that happen at the high school level, as crazy as that is, but it's obviously not as prevalent. So what we should be doing at the high school level is preparing kids for for what it means to persevere through adversity, right? So we do that there. Then if they get to the college level, there's more of a trust process that this transfer is for the right reason, as opposed to just running at the first side of adversity because they weren't groomed in the right high school program. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going down to the to the lower levels of high school, and hopefully it's not at the middle school level yet. <laughs> um, no, listen, AAU-wise it is. I mean, you know, kids jump programs every yep. spring now just because they didn't get playing time at the last program or they didn't like the coach or whatever. And so it starts very young, you know, but somebody's got to eventually teach the kids the balance between the two. Yes, sometimes it is change your environment. That's the best way to be successful. And other times it's change you. Right. And that's the way, best way to survive your environment. And, that, and that's hard for kids. That's hard for 18, 19 year old kid right. to understand. Um, but you, you're right about the AU. It is a red flag. If you see a kid change AU teams every spring, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're different teams in three years, you yeah. know, that, yeah. that, that's the red flag. A lot of times those kids do transfer. Yep. So there, there's, yep. there's the thing about being loyal, you know, sometimes you know, you got a lot of AU programs will try to take kids from different programs. If you got a kid who's maybe on a lower scale team, they've been there their whole life. That that says a lot about the kid. 
yeah. that they're loyal to that program and they're not swayed by maybe this isn't a Nike team or, or whatever the case, um, you know, and it doesn't matter who you, which level you play on. If you, if you're doing well, you're having success, you know, why change that? Right. right? Why change? Um, but no matter what, there's, there's going to be moments that are tough and it, a lot is how you handle this. So, we, right. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you spending some time with us today, man. I'm going to get you out of here. I just want you to, um, last thing I want to ask you is just, you know, this is always about getting better. That's my whole mantra. So what's next for Scott Merritt, man? What do, what do you want to do and how can we help? You know, I'm not going to boast to you, you know, talk about being honest. I'm not going to boast to you, you know, 10,000 listeners, but we will have, we'll have our fair share of people that will listen to this. And, and so anything we can do to help, uh, any websites we can go to follow you, help you recruiting, anything we can do. I think the biggest thing for, for now that I'm at Illinois is we're trying to get Illinois over the hump. We want kids to stay home. We want them to be excited about Illinois. We're going to do our part and, and, and improve the program and really do our job recruiting um, in, in the state of Illinois. Uh, no doubt about that. There's so much young talent here. There's so much great athletes, so many great coaches. So uh, obviously Illinois is a, is a hotbed for talent. And we want a lot of it to stay home. And I think the best thing some of these AU and high school coaches can do is um, keep keep getting these kids right mentally, physically. You know, give them good advice. Make sure they're working. Be honest with them, um, and do what's best for them. Really have their best interests at heart. Um, you know, and, and and help guide them through this this process because it's not an easy process and can be overwhelming for a kid when you got. You know, you got 30, 40, 50 schools calling the kid all at the same time. That, as a young teenager, that, that I can't even imagine that. It was, you know, with so much access to kids nowadays through social media, you know, and the phones, they're, they're just, that can be extremely difficult to deal with. So just just make sure you're guiding these kids right and giving them sound advice. I think that's the best thing we can ask for as, as college coaches. Yeah, well, you can definitely count on me for that, man. And we'll get this out to as many people as we can. And hopefully they learn a lot from the different nuggets. I appreciate your time today, Coach. Uh, best of luck in the season. I hope I, I know you're with me in this. I can't wait till all this is lifted. I understand why it's here. We're all staying safe. But the minute this is lifted, man, good luck getting back with your girls and have a great season next year. OK, I appreciate that, man. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for the invite, man. I really enjoyed myself. All right. Later. All right. Thank you for listening to the Jumping Through Hoops podcast. We hope you heard something that will help you get better on your path to basketball and life success. You can help us get better by hitting the subscribe button and following us on social media. If you would like to be a guest on the show, or if you have any questions we can answer for you, email us at jthoopspod at gmail.com. Until next time, always get better.